Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go, Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. We are back on the air, ready to go. Very excited for today's program. For anybody who missed the Monday show, there was no Monday show. We had a malfunction in the system somewhere, nothing to do with us, unfortunately. That's the most frustrating. When it's not something we can control... Man, you should see me and Trevor. Like, we want to put our heads through walls. It's it's incredibly frustrating. But everything's working today. I mean, knock on wood, somewhere. Everything's working today. We're back on the air. We're ready to talk some soccer. Very excited for today's program. As I mentioned already, Luke Moore from the Football Ramble will be joining us momentarily. We'll talk to him about England, but we'll certainly look towards the Champions League. Games returning in the Champions League today. I'll get into the schedule here. In just a second, um, we'll uh, we'll take a look at uh, we'll take a look at MLS and the playoff race uh, with your phone calls. We'll talk about whatever's on your mind in any area of soccer. You know how it goes here at Soccer Morning. All right, let's start with the news ahead of Luke Moore. Starting with the uh, Ballon d'Or shortlist being unveiled by FIFA. Twenty three players on the shortlist, led by Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. Naturally, those two players have combined to win the last seven editions of the Ballon d'Or. No Asian players, uh, only um, only one African player, Yaya Torre of Manchester City. Eight South American players on the list, including Luis Suarez and Neymar, which means that the entire front line of Barcelona is on the, on the list, and six players in total from the European champions on the list. Other names of note, Sergio Aguero, Eden Azard, Andres Iniesta, Robert Lewandowski, Javier Mascherano, Manuel Neuer, goalkeeper from Bayern Munich, of course, Aaron Robin, uh, Alexis Sanchez, uh, let me see if I got Arturo Vidal of Chile, and Juventus, and obviously now moving on uh, he, to Bayern Munich, he uh, a, a South American champion with Chile as well. Also released by FIFA uh, and France Football, who are the uh, the other party in the decision-making process for these lists, uh, was the 10-coach 10, 10 shortlist for Coach of the Year. Uh, names like Allegri, uh, Ancelotti, Guardiola, Mourinho, Arsene Wenger, Luis Enrique Martinez, uh, Luis Enrique from from Barcelona, obviously Laurent Blanc of France, um, Pep Guardiola. I may have mentioned him already, and Jorge Sampioli of of Chile, all on this list. So there you go. FIFA also confirmed that the presidential election will go ahead on February twenty sixth, two thousand sixteen. That the election that will replace Sepp Blatter. Uh, Michelle Platini's candidacy still up in the air. He's on a 90-day provisional suspension, remember, for taking that payment nine years after work, apparently done on behalf of FIFA, although uh, apparently uh, both Blatter and uh, Michelle Platini said there, were no, there was no contract involved. Uh, so we'll, we'll see if the FIFA the Ethics Committee moves ahead with a further, uh, further suspension of Michelle Platini that may impact his ability to stand for election. He has um, previously said, in fact, I had this on yesterday's news uh, before sh- the show was canceled, that he has called himself bulletproof and believes he will be vindicated in this particular area and be allowed to stand for FIFA president, which, of course, he, he retains the backing of UEFA with the con- with the caveat that the English have already said that they'll, they will not support him any further. Uh, so it remains to be seen exactly how much support Michel Platini has 
from his direct base there in Europe. All right, as I mentioned, Champions League back today. Champions League scheduled just a couple of the highlights. Leading the way, Arsenal, Bayern Munich uh, today. Uh, you also have Bayer Leverkusen and AS Roma, Dynamo Kiev and Chelsea, uh, uh, Borisov hosting Barcelona, FC Porto, Maccabi Tel Aviv, Zenit St. Petersburg, Lyon, Valencia against the, the Belgians from Ghent. And I may have missed, uh, missed one, Dino Zagreb against Olympiacos. So there you go. There's your Champions League schedule for today. Caleb Porter has told MLSsoccer.com's Extra Time Radio podcast that Jurgen Klinsmann has been in touch about calling up Darlington Nagby. Nagby got his citizenship in September, making him eligible for the United States. He moved to the U.S. at the age of 11 from his native Liberia with his family. He's been working on that citizenship for quite some time, and we'll see if uh, Nagby is a player added to the U.S. system uh, in the near future, perhaps in January with the, um, with the camp that traditionally is held in January with mostly MLS players. CONCACAF has confirmed that the playoff between the USA and Colombia for a spot in the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro will be a home and away aggregate series. Uh, this uh, originally was believed to be a one-off in Rio sometime in March. It's been confirmed it will be a two-legged series that will start in Colombia. No dates have been uh, determined but it is uh, the, these games are required to be finished by March of 2016 to set the field uh, for the Olympics in Brazil. The FA has dismissed, dismissed Jose Mourinho's appeal against his one match ban and uh, one match ban and fifty thousand pound fine for his criticism of the referees. I love this Mourinho claiming that it's his his uh, English language skills or lack thereof that ultimately. Uh, ended up with him calling the referees a uh, afraid to give his team penalties. He described the fine as a disgrace and appealed. The hearing dismissed uh, his mitigation and decided that 52-year-old's English is, quote, uh, too sophisticated, unquote. Uh, Mourinho obviously upset. Things are not going well. In general terms for FIFA, they did get a win this weekend against Aston Villa. Uh, so we'll, maybe we'll ask... Uh, our friend Luke Moore about that, what that means for Chelsea going forward. They're in the Champions League today, so a big match here uh, for Chelsea to keep their momentum on the road in Ukraine against uh, Dynamo Kiev. Not an easy place to play. Where are those games taking place, Trevor? Are they? T- they're not taking place in. Are they taking place in Kiev? Kiev is fine, but it's Donetsk that's having problems. Well, I'm trying to get my political situations in in Ukraine straight. Uh, I'll admit that I have. Fallen behind a bit. All right. So Donetsk is the problem. Kiev, that's fine. All right. So the games, Dynamo Kiev playing games at home, hosting Chelsea today. All right. So uh, there you go. We set the stage. Lots of news uh, in the world of soccer. We'll get into English football and the Champions League with our friend Luke Moore from the Football Ramble in just a minute. It's Soccer Morning. World Soccer Doc Doc. <laughs> world Soccer Doc.com. Be right back. It's talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning. It's uh, Tuesday. Champions League games today. We've got Luke Moore from the World Famous Football Ramble on the line with us. Now we're going to talk about the Champions League, but we're going to start, I think, with the Premier League. Hi, Luke. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. All right. So a couple of, of, of storylines coming out of the weekend. Uh, I think it starts with Jurgen Klopp and the, and the debut for Liverpool, it turns into a goalless draw against Tottenham. A bit of a letdown? Um, sort of. Sort of. It was quite an interesting game, I thought. Liverpool started well. I mean, I was talking about this earlier this week, thinking that, that basically Spurs have, have got through that and they've got a good point out of it. I mean, no team in the Premier League would have wanted to play Liverpool in their first game under Jurgen Klopp. They've got talented players and they've got a world-class coach now. And, of course, these players are going to be wanting to impress their new coach. So, 
Um, it was always going to be a tough game for Spurs. They kept another clean sheet. I mean, they got a good defensive record in the Premier League this season. No one's conceded fewer goals than them. And so from their, from their point of view, um, it was a good afternoon's work, I think. Um, Klopp would have learned a lot about his players in that game too. So, it's disappointing there were no goals, but it was still an intriguing encounter. It doesn't, it's not all about goals all the time. Sometimes there are things to enjoy too. Um, but yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how, how Liverpool um, move on from here. Uh, it, I know this is re- results-based analysis, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm willingly going to be guilty of it here, but can you imagine that this is actually not a bad thing for him to start with? I mean, if he, if he wins, and if he wins going away, that sets the bar very high for... for for the rest of the season, if he loses, that's obviously a, a poor start, and now he's got to claw back something. This is this is sort of it's very neutral. It allows him as a platform to to move on with probably without as much expectation as as there was initially. It's just, yeah, I mean, there's always going to be expectation at a club that big, and I think because he's come in sort of at a really difficult time, essentially, with the exception of like going in late on to fight a team's battle against relegation. It's hard to think of a more difficult time for him to be. Um, taken over the job. I mean, they're a big club and they're eight or nine games in now and he's not had any pre-season with any of them. He probably doesn't know that many of the players very well. Um, so he really is getting in there straight away and having to hit the ground running. Um, so I think people understand that and I think Liverpool takes their coaches certainly initially generally pretty well. Of course, there are exceptions to that rule but generally they'll, they'll welcome in. We saw the banners up at, at White Hart Lane welcome in and stuff like that. So, I think he will get a lot of um, slack. I think even if they were beaten, I don't think he would, they would, he would have got too much stick. Mm. Unless they got absolutely hammered, of course. But I mean, I think generally he's probably still going to be trying to learn about his players, learn what works well, what doesn't. He said something in the press last week, which might have been just before the weekend game, saying that um, he likes what he sees and he thinks he can work with all these players there and how he's really positive and all this other stuff. So clearly it's a, it's a work in progress. Um, but White Hart Lane is a difficult place to go this season. Like I said, I don't really concede many, so um, I think it's a job well done for everyone, really. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, the, the welcome with open arms, and as you mentioned, a world class manager coming into a to a club that's uh, that hasn't had one of those in quite some times, quite some time. And even if there are expectations at a giant club like Liverpool, I think the fans are sort of, they're, as you said, they're going to give him a lot of slack. He's going to have that credit built up thanks to the CV that he built in uh, in Germany. Yeah, I think so. I think I think you know I've not been to to the city of Liverpool since he was taken out since he was hired. But what I can make out, the positive, uh, the, the mood is a completely positive one. I mean, every they're really delighted to have him there. He's obviously got a lot of charisma, a lot of personality. He's easy to love. He's he's going to love the club and and really take it to heart. I think, and and everyone's going to be pleased about that. And of course, he's got the CV, and it's no good being really happy to be there and being like taken into a you know taking Liverpool to your heart and really embracing the culture and the local history and traditions if you're not actually any good but clearly Klopp is good as well and so it looks like it could be a, a very happy marriage mm-hmm. um, so we'll wait and see what happens of course it's very early on um, but it's, it's easy to see it being successful I think but I mean Liverpool fans will probably think they've had a couple of false dawns in the past and so who knows but um, at least I'm a positive I think uh, speaking of, of of marriages, we've we've talked a lot, you and I, about uh, Jose Mourinho. You've talked a lot about it on your show. Uh, you haven't married him, have you? In, huh? I'm sorry. You haven't you haven't married him? Have no, you? no, no. I haven't married him. But he's he he <laughs> is he is uh, symbolically married to Chelsea at the moment, and it seems to be there there are those cracks. Uh, you know, they they need couples counseling at this point. Uh, Chelsea and Jose Mourinho. Perhaps. I mean, uh, he's in love with the club, I guess. But what what's quest, uh, what's questionable is maybe his relationship with his, with his players. And clearly, the direction of of the team on the pitch, and they get a win over Aston Villa again. That, that's an expected win for 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 Chelsea. But at this point, the way things have gone, you can't take anything for granted if you're Chelsea. You can't no. And uh, it was an important win for them. As I said before the game, it was probably the biggest game of the Premier League season so far, given the context for both teams and both managers. I always expected Chelsea to win the game, and of course they did. So they could have won it by more. Um, it was ideal uh, for Mourinho. He needed it, needed a win to put the pressure off the team. Uh, but the stakes were high because if they lost that game, it was a game they were expected to win. So it would have made it even worse for him. Interestingly enough, he didn't play Ivanovic or Hazard, who I think statistically are the two players he's relied on the most in his second stint as manager. Uh, and it worked for him. So it pressure's off for probably about an hour after the game. And now I'm sure he feels like it's firmly back on again because they've still got some ground to make up and they need to do it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, for the Aston Villa's point of view, um, I don't know if you want me to talk about Aston Villa too much, but just to touch on them quickly, sure. they're in real trouble. The, 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 big, the, big, um, the big problem for me watching it was they started brightly, 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, as soon as things didn't start to go their way, their heads just dropped off a cliff and they were just terrible. They couldn't, um, they couldn't rouse themselves. Tim Sherwood looked like he was floundering again in the post-match interview. He looked like a beaten man. Looks like he hasn't slept for a couple of weeks now. So, um, I mean, I'm sure he has, but not very well. And he looks a beaten man. He really does. And they go, uh, they're at home to Swansea at the weekend. And Swansea have been fairly inconsistent, especially away from home. I mean, of course, they were beaten at home last night, just just, just last night. So, um, it's it's a game that um, Sherwood will be earmarking to, to bounce back. I mean, they've only won one game all season, and that seems like a long time ago now, and they're in real trouble. And the other reason they're in real trouble is because Newcastle and Sutherland play each other this weekend. And of course, the way the game works means at least one of those teams is going to get some points, uh, and that's going to be bad news for, for, for Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Aston Villa uh, not doing well. The, 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 is, that club, is that club currently for sale? Has it been for sale? I'm not sure where La- Randy Lerner's... I'm not even sure how he's perceived necessarily by the fans at this point. Well, I wouldn't like to speak on behalf of Aston Villa fans, um, but I think he's perceived to be someone who brought a lot of money to the club when Marcel O'Neill was there and, and backed him and spent an awful lot, and now he seems to have lost interest. And I think, although I've not seen anything confirming that this, the club is up for sale recently, I think the understanding is that he's open to offers and, and he's not hugely interested in, in bank for the club anymore. Uh, but like I said, they've, they've, played, they've signed a lot of players on the team show. I mean, a lot of players came in. Not for huge amounts of money, admittedly, but they still had a lot of players to come in, and, that's, and that comes with its own price, you know, with wages and all that sort of stuff, and signing on fees and stuff. So um, he has been back to an extent, but um, I think really he, he, he probably is losing interest. And, and the, the, another big problem for Tim Sherwood is there was a big meeting in the US last week about the direction of the club, and Tim Sherwood wasn't there. Mm. And Tim Sherwood himself has said, Oh, I decided to stay with the players rather than go over. But some other people have suggested that he just wasn't invited, and that's obviously not a great thing you want to hear when your bosses are having meetings without you about the direction of the club you work for and you manage, and you're not included. Mm. doesn't bode well. Um, and the other reason um, Tim should Tim Sherwood should also be worried is because there are other managers now looking like they're available to take over, and it's still early enough in the season for Villa to turn it around if the, if the owner decides that a fresh approach mm. is what's needed. Yeah. So, yeah, very interesting times at Villa Park, and we'll see what happens. Um, I mean... Goes without saying, though, they need a win of the weekend, big time. Yeah, I, I, this is, um, you know, it's a traditionally strong club, and if they if they're uh, facing relegation, they're obviously going to make decisions. And Tim Sherwood's the kind of kind of guy, um, Luke, that it seems as though, at least the, the the sense I get is he's a guy who very much rests on that sort of rah rah motivational mentality, and that can burn yeah. out fairly quickly, especially when a couple of results don't go Absolutely. your way. Absolutely, it burns off yeah, very, very quickly and you have to have something behind it. You can't just say, oh, let's all work really hard and be passionate for the club and play for the shirt. <clears throat> Excuse me. If, if there's no substance behind it. Um, he's, he's flipped and flopped around quite a lot. What's happened, I don't know if you guys have had this coverage over there, but in the UK, what's happened is Tim Sherwood um, forged a sort of identity and a reputation for himself as being an old school, in quotes, manager. Yeah. So a bit like a Harry Redknapp, new, and Mark II. Where, where he talks about passion and motivation and working hard for the shirt. But then what happened was people started to ironically call him Tactics Tim, thinking, oh, he hasn't got any tactical knowledge. Um, he was hammered in the FA Cup final and he, you know, all this other stuff has gone on. So then he tried to go the other way and tried to show how tactical he really was, which has essentially involved him using about five different formations in the last few weeks <laughs> and starting to, to be too scared to rely on these flair players that he signed yeah. because he doesn't think they're going to pull through and they're going to let him down. And, and it's gone from one extreme to the other. And now I don't know if anyone knows what they're doing and whether he even knows what his best team is. Yeah, interesting times there with Tim Sherwood and, and Aston Villa. All right, let me, let me t- actually, before we move on from, since we, we talked about Chelsea beating Aston Villa, let me go back to Chelsea. Uh, are you aware of this uh, quote-unquote controversy, uh, controversy? I'm not going to speak to the veracity of any of these reports about what's happening inside Chelsea. But Eden Hazard on Instagram liking something that links him to Real Madrid or something like that. What? What? what is this? Is the world we're, we're living in now, Luke? Where a player can yeah, be? Yeah, I have absolutely no insight into that. But I did see that that made the back of one of the tabloid newspapers here this morning. 
Um, so obviously it's a slow news day or <laughs> there is something in it. I don't have any contacts at Chelsea personally, so right, I can't elaborate yeah. on that too much. Um, but Hazard wasn't picked last game and that's what happens these days in football. Um, so we will watch, watch that develop with interest. But I mean, Hazard overall has been one of Mourinho's more trusted players. Yes. Um, and what I would suggest though is that if he wants to move to the Real Madrid, the best thing he can do is put on the Chelsea shirt and play like he played last season. Absolutely. There's that. All right, let, let me turn now to, uh, to, to the Manchester sides. Uh, Manchester City 5-1 over Bournemouth. Th- th- things started so well for City. They, they hit a rough patch. Uh, are, they, are they back on cruise control? I mean, they, they, they may not be, um, you know, they may not be walking to a title this year. There's going to be a challenge, it seems, based on the relative strength of the, of the, the top half of the league, but they, if they do click, they are the most talented team uh, in English football at the moment. Yeah, well, they so. I mean, they've got the most resources, and they've 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 got probably the best players, I'd say, just about maybe. But their their seasons tend to be punctuated by these weird little concentration lapses. Um, of course, they didn't suffer that against Bournemouth. I mean, they're a much better team than Bournemouth, and the big the big the big game for them will be uh, the weekend, of course, against United. And that's United looks in great nick at Goodison Park at the weekend, so. Uh, that'll be a fascinating game. I mean, yeah, Man City should be challenging for the title, of course. I mean, it's difficult to know who to go for because Chelsea have essentially thrown it away. I mean, it'll be a remarkable turnaround, though, to win the title now. It'll probably be the greatest turnaround since the Premier League started. Um, and then Manchester United look like the obvious weaknesses, um, although they look good at the weekend. Arsenal will probably have a drop-off at some point, you'd expect. And then City, like I said, with concentration problems from time to time. So it's a very difficult Premier League to call this season, which makes it interesting. Um, but they should certainly be challenging, of course. I mean, that's the minimum City should be expecting of themselves. Mm, absolutely. Um, speaking of Arsenal, I mean, let's um, we could, we can turn a turn to the Champions League here and give give that a, a bit of attention. Arsenal, Bayern Munich today. That's uh, a, an incredibly difficult task for Arsene Wenger and, and company. And I think there's this this sense that they're going to get steamrolled uh, by Bayern Munich. Is, is there any reason to believe that Arsenal and, and Wenger in particular can figure out a way to slow down Bayern Munich? I mean, this is this is a season that sort of began with Arsenal in the uh, in the Community Shield, sitting back and waiting for Chelsea to come at them. And th- th- this is maybe a different Wenger, or do you still still see the same problems with Arsenal? I mean, I show them they can do that on occasion. They did it against Manchester City last season as well. I mean, I mean, the things to look at here are are probably the fact that Arsenal are in really good form and playing well. I mean, they're irresistible in the second half against Watford. Yes, okay, that's Watford. But they still had to beat them, and they played very well doing so. Uh, and then the other thing to look at is um, the, the relative strength of the German league. I wonder whether um, Guardiola is so motivated to prove that um, they can do something outside of the Bundesliga and they can win the Champions League under him, that he is looking to steamroll teams, as you just said. Um, I think uh, part of me now thinks that after those disastrous first two results for Arsenal, they, they probably should... Um, almost not write it off because you don't want them to undermine the integrity of the competition. Right. But I think, you know, there's a real opportunity for them this year. They can maintain their concentration and maintain their consistency and really push all the buttons of the Premier League. They could win the league this season and I think they know that. And I, I don't think many people who support Arsenal or would, would be too bothered if they sort of jump off that hamster wheel of qualifying out of the group stage, getting knocked out straight away every single season for, for a, a real tilt at the Premier League title. Of course, the problem with that is then if they come third, they get Europa League, and that's even worse. So they've got to be careful what they do. Of course, they're going to go out to win, and, and it'll be a fascinating game later tonight. But, um, I mean, I, can't, I, don't, I don't give them much chance of stopping Lewandowski alone at this point. So um, it's difficult to see them getting something, something positive tonight. But it's Arsenal. Sometimes they can. Sometimes it just clicks, and they play really well, and they defend solidly, and they look good. And their attacking formations and stuff are really good to watch. And they've got such good personnel going forward as well. that They can hurt teams. And once you can do that, you've always got a chance. So it'd be really interesting to see. I mean, I like, I like the look of Barmin at this season. I really do. Um, but it's very difficult to know how, how strong the rest of the German league is because I don't watch it enough and I don't know enough about it. Right. Um, Barmin has always been a, a huge tower and presence in that, in that division. Uh, with their financial power and, and all the muscle they've got. So, um, yeah, it'll be a nice litmus test for, for, for Guardiola tonight as well, saying, look, Arsenal are a good team. They've got some good attacking players. They're in good form. How can we do against them? So it'll be a challenge for them as well. And I think Guardiola's, you know, I think Guardiola's mindset is he, is he wants to go win that 
uh, win that trophy with Bayern Munich, and, and that may set the for stage sure. for him to finally move. Well, not finally, but for him to move on, because the rumors will always be that Pep Guardiola is going to take this job or that job. Um, when you talk about the relative strength of the, of the Bundesliga, and certainly Bayern Munich's place in that league versus the English clubs, and, and a lot of discussion about English football in Europe and, and, and whether or not uh, the, they can compete anymore. Is it, is, do you think it is more of a function of the fact that the Premier League is more competitive top to bottom than a lot of these big European leagues, and that makes it more difficult for Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal to compete on two fronts? Um, I think the intensity of the Premier League compared to Spain and Italy is different. I don't know much about it. I don't know about the Germans because I tend to play in a not similar, but a similar intensity. Yeah. Intensity, I think. Mm. I think sometimes towards the back end of the season, it does seem to catch up with players in the Premier League. Um, I don't know the exact stats, but there was. I, I seem to remember going to World Cup 2014. I think it was, um, or may, may even been before that. There was a situation where a lot of the Premier League based players were underperforming. It looked like I was knackered, and I think there's a lot to be said about that. Um, it's a lot more blood and thunder in the Premier League. It's a lot more end-to-end. It can be very fast-paced. And so I think that is a factor. Um, but I think this season particularly is very competitive in the Premier League. And not necessarily because they're all such great quality teams. In fact, I don't really think that is true at all. Mm-hmm. I think all the teams have got very obvious weaknesses. Um, but it does make for, for, for more interesting viewing. And I think that when Premier League teams go into Europe sometimes, they have to think a bit more. They have to sort of try and work teams out. It's a bit more, it can be a bit more of a chess game. I wonder if sometimes they fall short because if you look at the money in the Premier League, they should be winning a lot more Champions League titles than they they have been fairly recently. So it's an interesting thing to think about. I just think every 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 league is different for different reasons, and sometimes it translates and sometimes it doesn't. But that can depend on the draw and who you play against as well. It, well, it's also fascinating through the prism of the fact that the Premier League is a very international league at this point. It's it's. Uh, you know there there are English stars, sure, but but the, the the predominance of the big talent in the Premier League are foreign players. And, that, and speaking to that point, I mean, uh, there's no English players on the Ballon d'Or shortlist. Not a surprise, but just noteworthy. And then we've got Thomas Muller talking about the number of foreign players in English football hindering the the uh, the development of English players to go on to the national team. What do you what do you make of that, Luke? He also said that he'd like to go to Man United because the money's so good. <laughs> so I mean, you can't you can't have it both ways, you know. I mean, I, I agree with that point he's made there. Um, and yeah, England, England clearly has a problem developing players. I mean, that that's, goes without saying. There are a lot of different opinions on why that is. Uh, my feeling is it's probably to do with a lack of decent facilities and coaching at a young age, and a lack of coaches in terms of numbers in general. Probably a conversation for another time. But clearly, it's, clearly it's got a problem. Clearly, the Premier League is far too reliant on the transfer market. Um, that's, that goes without saying. Uh, so that it obviously hinders the national team. It probably hinders the fact that English players aren't, aren't because 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 Britain's an island and English English players can be a little bit into it. And they don't want to go abroad as often, so therefore they're not picking up different experiences. They're not maybe learning about exactly the nuts and bolts of European clubs and how they play and what they do, which would stand them in good stead both internationally and playing in the Champions League. So. There are a lot of problems with English football. It's, it's not for a lack of money, though. I'll tell you that. It's just where the money goes is is, is a bit of a difficult one. Um, and yeah, of course, England always underperform, and they have done in my lifetime, bar one or two exceptions. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's something to rumble on because the power of the Premier League is so great. The Football Association here doesn't have the power it needs to start implementing these things, and the Premier League just gets stronger and stronger, and the gap between them and the sort of smaller clubs and the lower leagues and them. Um, kids football and stuff is, is just ever greater so it's definitely a problem it's going to implode at some point i just don't know where well i mean I, I guess the question and this is a very philosophical way of looking at it but i do it a lot here with what we've got going on in the united states is are the league and the the national team program operating at cross purposes and and really what you're going to have to come to at some point is just a, a sort of resigned acceptance that okay we're going to have the most popular league in the world, probably the richest league in the world. It's it's going to always be like this, and that probably means that we will always have a ceiling we can't get uh, get through when it comes to the national. Yeah, team. that's the, that's the problem with England. The problem with England is that what, whose priority is it right. to develop the England national team? Well, it's the FA. Well, the FA don't have any power because they sold all their all their power to the to the Premier League. The Premier League's responsibility isn't to the English national no. team. Although when the, the Premier League was first sort of launched, it did say. We believe this will enhance the national team in England. Yeah, there's essentially a marketing line which didn't mean anything. Sure. And then you look at the Premier League managers themselves. Well, in defence of them, 
if they if they just start bringing English players through for the sake of it, they could be out of a job if they don't perform. Their priority is their club. So the only priority, the, the, the only people who have priority for the English national team are the England fans and the FA. And neither of them have really got any power at all. So it's no surprise it's played second to the Premier League over the last 25 years. Absolutely not. Uh, Luke Moore from the World Famous Football Ramble, which you can hear now these days on Sirius XM uh, after my show on Tuesdays and Thursdays, which is excellent. Uh, also, go check out, uh, is it thefootballramble.com? I always forget if the article it, is there. It is. All right, it there you go. Indeed. Yeah, check it out. There you go. And Lukey Moore on Twitter. Luke, appreciate the time as always. Thank you very much and um, continued Pleasure. success. All right, there goes Luke Moore. Good stuff from him. As always, enjoy talking about uh, English football with Luke, one of the smartest guys out there. All right. We'll come back. We'll take your phone calls on a Tuesday. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. The Force Awakens on Soccer Morning on a Tuesday. That's what I'm going with, my tagline. <laughs> Soccer Morning, The Force Awakens. Does that make any sense? We just can grab that. Like We can totally steal that for our own usage, right? There's no rules against that. It's a subtitle. It's not the main. Like I couldn't call the show Star Wars, obviously. That would get me sued by Lucasfilms. But I'm pretty sure I can say Soccer Morning, The Force Away. Probably not, actually. <laughs> I'll probably get sued. We are back on Soccer Morning. The phone lines are open. 646-832-3909. Lots to digest there from our friend Luke Moore. Uh, lots more to digest just in the world of soccer. Things happening at FIFA, the MLS playoff race uh, with a final week to go. Okay, so we know pretty much who's going to be in the playoff field. What we don't know is seeding. And I think that's going to play a large role in how these playoffs unfold think for example about the la galaxy as a team that desperately needs to be holding uh onto a home field playoff advantage when the tournament starts whether that is as the second team in the western conference which allows them a buy into the semifinals where they're guaranteed a home leg or as one of the top two play-in seeds third or fourth they have to maintain that or, or you can imagine la galaxy going out in the first round that'd be pretty stunning Let's go to Aaron in Jersey. What's up, hey. Aaron? How you doing again? Doing well, man. Great. Um, I wanted. I just wanted your take on. Uh, I think there's some exciting um, matches this week. You know, PSG, uh, Real Madrid tomorrow, and the Manchester derby next weekend. And then also one. There's something that isn't really talked about much. Is the CCL, uh, which yeah, no. I've always had kind of a take on. MLS is not caring about it. Well, I mean, for it's, it's so it's, years it's so weird to think about the CCL in the midst of everything happening with the playoffs, right? I mean, there's one week to go in the regular season. Everybody's trying to get themselves together to make a playoff run, and then we got to drop CCL into the mix. And now we've got um, we got RSL Municipal tonight in the CCL. RSL season is done in terms of the playoffs. Maybe this allows them. I mean, are they through yet? I can't remember if they're through yet. Some of these teams are through. The Galaxy. Yeah, no, they 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 need a tie or a win tonight. Okay, so look, and there's Uh no excuses now. They don't have. I mean, I know they played on the weekend. Um, They probably they're probably not exactly at full strength coming into a Tuesday match. But you know, you got to play your best team. You got to go out and try to qualify, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, this is part of my thing with the MLS is that the CCL, I, I, I just always believe there's a massively underdeveloped uh, market in relationship with uh, Central America and Caribbean, really CONCACAF and, and MLS, and that if MLS took the CCL seriously, which it looks like this year they're finally kind of doing it, and when you see that, they, you know, four teams are, are basically through. Um you know, that, you know, they could actually, you know, develop the second phase of, 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 of soccer or football here. 
And, and this whole playoff system, which I know we're kind of stuck with, you know, is in a weird way, almost like a compensation of CCL, you know, mm-hmm. if the CCL is really this strong, you know, then, then the whole playoff model becomes less yeah, necessary. Aaron, I, I look, I, I understand the potential and I see what's latent in the CCL, but I, I'll admit to you, I've come to the point where I've thrown my hands up and said, I'm done with this. I am done with this notion that we're somehow going to turn our version of the Champions League, which just by virtue of calling it the Champions League puts it well, you know, pu- puts it uh, uh, in in a poor comparison with the UEFA version. Um, I just, I just, I've come to the belief that it's never going to be much. That there are too many teams that people don't care about. From look, I, I respect the hell out of the Costa Ricans and the Hondurans and and even the El Salvadorians and of course Jamaica, but. These teams people don't care about. The thing about the Champions League in Europe is even if you get a Bate Borisov, you've got Arsenal and PSG and Real Madrid and Barcelona and Manchester United. Manchester. I mean, the number of big clubs who are drawing attention to that competition is so massive compared to what we've got here that I just, I mean. Sure. I mean, the only thing I would say is that you always have to start somewhere. And if you look at, uh, you know, the European Cup. It's just a long slog. In the slog, 70s Aaron. and 80s. It was, you know, like not, you know, like Nottingham Forest and Leeds. But, I but, mean, you but, didn't have exactly. Sure, no, no. Names. I I realize that Brian Clough winning the European Cup, whoop de doo. But here's the thing, they that that tournament was able to develop in isolation in, in a way that. It, you know, fair. It, it was it was able to kind of build itself up, and certainly TV money came in around the same time as the Premier League started started up and changed the game there. Uh, the and this is very much MLS's general problem, but it's also the CCL problem that we'll always suffer by comparison. So it will always be that weird tournament that's sort of like the Champions League, but I've never heard of any of these teams. I I, I I'm just saying it's a lo- it, you could try, we can tr- make an effort, but it's a long way to go. Oh, no, it, it, I mean, it is, but I guess the thing I look at is with a quarter billion people that aren't really in the MLS market that still play football and are pretty passionate, and if you started to see some uh, interregional uh, development, meaning, you know, we sign players strategically and semi-strategically from those regions and vice versa, I mean, that's how you build, you know, those relationships over time, right? I mean, eventually when you have five, I'm just making it up, but five El Salvadorian players who wind up in Salt Lake, which would be kind of funny, um, and then Salt Lake trains in the offseason in El Salvador, it's like you just opened up to a million sure. new fans. Well, that, that, and, that's, that's, you know, that's how this process really uh, kind of grows. That, that's and, happening. That's happening. There, you know, there, there's some of that. There's some of that happening. I mean, go look at the number of of Concacaf players. I mean, I, I I spent some time yesterday on my satellite show talking about how difficult it must be to be the player personnel guy at an MLS club because you have to make a hard decision. Best quality players, players that are international. I mean, the guys that are going to fit within an MLS budget that are very good or good enough to help you win, uh, win playoff playoff games and trophies are guys that are playing for their national teams like Costa Rica, like Honduras, yep. like like exactly. uh, you know Venezuela, like uh, some of these some of these some of these uh, countries that are within the American sphere. And and so you know that that's that's part of the thing. I mean, there certainly are those players in this league, and I think the the profile is growing. I again, I don't, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the path is. I mean, you can well, sort of to s- me to you know to me the path is that you have to the MLS teams have to not be so ethnocentric in the club design, meaning the way they position themselves. You know, a good example of this is. You know, if you've got all these Spanish-speaking players on a club, why don't you know? Why don't some of these teams have a uh, a uh, Spanish simulcast? You know, I grew up in LA. A lot the of Dodgers, a lot of them know, do. Kind of launch that as a model. That, that's happening um, in places. I, I, DC's had one it, for a it, while. Uh, I'm pretty sure LA has one. I think I've heard calls there. Well, yeah, yeah, LA has one for sure because it has to. I mean, well, I mean it's, it's. I mean, the Dodgers kind of set that up originally in the '70s, and and I guess all I'm trying to say is that. These are the kind of things that you can do, you know, and they're very cheap, but I mean, you can, you can send players down there and, and play in these leagues that are part of your development and, and, uh, USL teams. And, and that helps you, you know, there were cheapens the cost of scouting because you get to compare your players against those that ones down there okay. and, right. and, uh, right. grab bag them. I mean, so 
I guess the way I'm looking at it is that I know this is happening in like fragmented piece parts. And I guess that's how we do everything. But <laughs> you know, to me, MLS has some resources, some definitely has, has resources that they could make a much more concerted effort in mm-hmm. some of these markets. I mean, you could have the El Salvador year, you could have the Nicaragua year, or the Panama year, or the Jamaica year. And where a year you just, MLS goes hard at that market and, and goes hard at the players, goes hard at, at cups, at friendlies. Okay. And, and I, I really believe, you know, that you will pop some of these markets. And, and people think these markets are smaller than they, than they actually are. Sure. When you collectively look at the Caribbean, it's almost 50 million people. When you look at, at, at Central America, it's over 50 million people. Mexico's yeah, you know, over 110 million. I, I mean, it's, what we're talking about makes sense on paper, Aaron. I'm going to have to let you go, but it's a great conversation. Yep. I, I, again, I don't want to be the negative guy in the room, but when I look at what you're talking about, you're, you're saying let's go into the places like the Caribbean and try to grab a market that includes 50 million people. You're not getting all of those people, but you know, do whatever you can to grab. Those people are Manchester United fans. You know what I mean? Those people. Sure they are, but people are also national fans of players with identity. Sure. And, sure. and if you, if you also pick up, if the MLS between the USL and, you know, whatever, MLS one and two picks up 20 players in Jamaica, you know, in one big swoop over a course of 12, 18 months, there's no way that's not going to be a splash. Oh, they're, they're, if you went yeah, market by market, right, you right. know. They're, 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 they're scouting the hell out of Jamaica. we got a bunch of Jamaican players in this league, especially a lot of up-and-coming national team players uh, in, from Jamaica. So maybe maybe they're working in that area. I appreciate the call, Aaron. It's a great discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. All yep. right. So uh, we, I could, Aaron's great. We could talk to Aaron all day, but we've got other people who want to get um, on the line, um, Landon, Salt Lake City, you're on the air. Hey, Jason, how are you doing this morning? Doing well, my friend. It doesn't look like you're doing well. No, no, I'm not. That's exactly why I'm calling in. All right, so go ahead, lay it out. Oh, uh, I just first time since 2007, man. What? What? But, is but that going means you're that means you're there. spoiled over there, okay? And so. Here's the thing about having to deal with your team missing the playoffs for the first time uh, in eight years. You, ha- you don't know how to deal with it. So while I, 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 I don't. Okay, so I, the Rapid I mean, fans are pissed. I'm not old enough that I've ever missed the playoffs with ourselves. This is a new thing for me, <laughs> and I hate it. I hate it so much. Sure. Um, you know what? I, 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 if I was an RSL fan and sitting where I do – what would worry me isn't missing the playoffs. That happens sometimes. The run was amazing. You got a title out of it. You got a, a an MLS Cup final out of it in 2013. What what would bother me is that things so much has changed ahead of this missing the playoffs that it's unclear how to get back to the playoffs. I mean, I think there are some yep. teams that just have down years, and you go, okay, well now look, they need a couple of pieces. They need a a defender here. They need a midfielder. They need this guy. I don't know what RSL. I mean, there there are quality players there, but you're aging out. Your some of your key guys, including Javier Morales, uh, Kyle Beckerman, uh, not necessarily Nick Ramondo, but there are players who are, mo- who are going to be moving on shortly. You've got a younger generation of players who maybe haven't delivered everything. You've got sort of the workman like bust their ass player like Luke Mulholland, who I love, but isn't going to take you to the promised land. I mean, I don't know where you're going. Yep. No, I, I 100% agree. I mean, it's, I mean, going back to missing the playoffs, yeah, like missing the playoffs, it happens, but I'd be okay if we missed the playoffs and we were like, you know, seventh or eighth. Ninth is, that's just going from, at one point we were first in the league last year for a couple of weeks, and I felt great. We ended up like uh, third or fourth, I can't remember last year. Um, but ninth is ridiculous. I mean, there's no excuse for that. But yeah, going back to the young players, I, I don't know what we're going to do. I mean, Gil is obviously a flop. We can write that off now. I mean, he's done. Um, and all the other players that keep talking about, you got Salcedo coming up, uh, Luis Silva, they're, they're decent, but I don't see, you know, I don't see them taking us really anywhere. Um, and then to top it off, I'm, I think the, the young players are bad, but I honestly still think the biggest fault of this whole season lies with Kassar. And it, I mean, he's taken in two years, he has destroyed this team. And I'm trying to figure out as a fan what I should do. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here renewing my season tickets this week and I'm loving that. Um, but I don't like, I don't, with a coach like this, we're not going anywhere. So well, what do I do as a fan uh, okay. to, to, to deal with this? What, what is it, what is it that you think he is fundamentally failing at? 
I think the biggest thing with Kassar is it's twofold. One, I feel it's too easy on his players. If you listen to him any post-game match, and I've talked about this before, um, it's that he does not have any criticisms about them. It's, it's never his fault. It, it feels Jurgen-esque to me, and that there is always a reason, and it's, hey, you know, we, we tried our best, but it wasn't good enough kind of thing. Um, one thing I think, Bruce Arena, I mean, he's obviously LA's coach, and that makes me obviously not a fan of him, um, but one thing I'm really impressed by him is he is straight talk every time. I mean, if, if they didn't perform, if a specific player doesn't perform, he calls them out. And he does a really good job with that. Um, whereas Kassar on the other end, there's no pressure. I mean, these, these guys are always yeah. playing the top of the game. They're always doing their best. And just, you know, sometimes luck of the draw, we just didn't cut it. So that's, you know, that's, that's a big problem for me. The second one is that um, he's giving players who shouldn't be playing too much time. Sandoval started more times than, than Jaime did this year at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And I don't get that. Sandoval is, I mean, Sandoval is, I, I, at this point, I'm feeling that he's kind of in the same camp as Gil. And that he's just, mm-hmm. you know, had a good start, but is really not, really not doing well. And he, and uh, Kassar has, and he just has a love for certain players, and he will not let them go. Mm-hmm. He just keeps playing them time and time again, even though they shouldn't be played. And he's too forgiving and he's too soft on them, in my, in my eyes. Okay, fair enough. I mean, uh, again, you 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 sign a player like Sebastian Jaime, you want to play him. I don't. Uh, Devin Sandoval brings the center forward presence that you that you got rid of when you traded Sabarillo, which was the right time to get out of the Sabarillo business. But oh yeah, yeah, you know, right. it, it's a matter of what you have to replace him, what you're turning to to be that. I mean, look again. First of all, I'm not giving up on Luis Gill yet. I just don't know if it's going to happen at RSL. Jordan Allen's a very good player. That's something to look forward to. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know Joao Plata didn't have the same kind of year he had last year, but he's still dynamic. He's still a great player. Uh, you know, you're going to get something out of Omas Garcia. You've got Burrito Martinez in the team now, and he looks like a good fit. Um, I, you know, I'm just going through some of these names. Uh, you, you know, you brought back Alave. You're going to have to move on from him eventually, probably in the next year or two. I, I don't, I don't know where the. I mean, it's not as though there's like some glaring problem in this team. It's just sort of that everything isn't that there's there's not enough in certain places. And again, counting on Javier Morales to drive your team uh, offensively for the next three years is a bad is is a bad plan. Oh, it's no, it's scary. I mean, the, the amount of the amount of pressure we're putting on our older players. I mean, look at Romando, Kyle, and Javi up there. I love them. I mean, they're, they're awesome, but they're, they're getting really old. Like we, we have to be getting replacements up for them. And I mean, if, if something happened to those three guys today, I don't know what we would do. I mean, there is no, there's no replacements ready to take this off. Well, Romando, we have that. No, I feel, I feel comfortable about that. But for Kyle and Javi, I don't, I mean, I don't know what we would do to replace them. Yeah, we'll have to see what, uh, and, and again, it's not just that you have to replace these players, it's that you have new personnel doing the job of replacing these players. Uh, you, you, mm-hmm, you, exactly. Your, your coach goes, your GM goes, now your president goes, and it's, now it's Deloitte Hansen and it's all on him. What is, what is he yep. going to, and I don't know, you've got, um, who's running things over there now? I, I'm, my ex player, my, my brain's just going. Oh, Weibel? Yes, well, Craig Weibel. And look, I mean, yeah. I, I believe that he can turn into a a solid guy to run an MLS club, but he's still fairly new in the job, so we have to we have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, he's fairly new, and everyone else is gone. That's the scary part. I mean, yeah. He got promoted real quick, and there's no one else around him to support him to kind of help, you know, hold his hand in right. that position. Right. Everyone else is brand new as well. Yeah, he's learning on the job without a mentor who has been in that team for years the way that they set things up. With uh, with Manning and and Loggerway and Christ and and that that's yep. yeah that's the scary thing. I think eventually they'll get back there. I think there's too much institutional knowledge. I mean, I know that's weird to say because ultimately the people are the institution. But I think there's enough institutional knowledge there, uh, uh, Landon, that you'll be okay. I, I do. I just don't know when you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I just I don't like this feeling, Jason. Make it go away, man. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I don't like it. I appreciate the call, Landon. Uh, keep the faith tonight. You 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 think they get it done tonight? Get themselves in the knockout rounds? I I think they do. I really do. I, they've they've done decent in Concacaf, and I mean we played a pretty reservish team on Saturday, um, so I'm expecting kind of a full force. I, I think they can get it done tonight. All right, appreciate the call, Landon. Thanks a lot, man. All right, thanks. See you. Six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine is the number. A couple of things here I wanted to hit on. Uh, there's a rumor floating out there that Bob Bradley is uh, being courted by La Havre. La, La Havre, I can't say it properly. 
Uh, it's uh, it's a French club in the second division. Um, they are, you know, they're a team that have been in the in in Ligue 1, in the top division uh, in the fairly recent past. They're trying to get back there. Uh, let's see. I have the standings here. Uh, the schedule. I don't have the standings. They just beat Valenciennes. Uh, Valenciennes. Valenciennes. Uh, there it is. On uh, Friday. Uh, let me see if I can get the uh, the standings up and just give a sense. Uh, you know, look, this is not where I would like to see Bob Bradley. I mean, I, I think that he's got he, he's a better his standing should give him a better opportunity. But okay, if he has the chance to take a club, right now they're they're in twelfth, they're mid table. If he had a chance after eleven matches. To take a club like this up to league on that's brilliant. I mean, and again, it's about it's about opportunity, it's about money. Uh, Trevor's throwing in; they have a great reputation for deliver, uh, developing players. Uh, Bob Bradley's a guy who knows how to make young players. He's proven this in Egypt and with his club gigs into quality professionals. He knows how to get the most out of them. So uh, you know, there's a there's potential here. I don't I don't know how real this is. This report is from FranceFootball.fr. It's in France. Uh, sorry, in French. So if you want to read it, you'll have to either know French or transfer it, uh, translate it. You can talk today. Translate it. Uh, but it does seem that there's, and there's a connection based on the fact that they have an American owner. So there's a possibility there uh, that Bob Bradley could have an opportunity in France. The other thing I wanted to throw in here, I mentioned this at the top of the show in the news, Darlington Nagby. Uh, apparently, there's been contact with Portland to make sure that his FIFA paperwork is in order so that he can make his move into the U.S. men's national team program. What do you make of that? I mean, I think three years ago, we're all jumping up and down at, at the idea of Darlington Nagby and the U.S. men's national team. Things have, have, have obviously cooled off. And part of that is he is not necessarily the goal scorer that we thought he'd be. Uh, his contributions to Portland have changed. Is he a worse player than he was three years ago? I find that difficult to believe. Um, I think uh, talent-wise, he's still there. It's just a matter of uh, he seems to be the kind of player. And, and th- these guys are frustrating. Where you have to put him in the exact right setup in right position to get the most out of him. Otherwise, he's the kind of player who recedes into the background or isn't nearly as effective as he should be based on his talent level. I hope that Klinsman, when he calls him, if he calls him, knows how to use him because that's the ultimate that's the ultimate question when it comes to talking to Nagby. Uh speaking of of Americans in France, I do have Wesley reminding me, and I haven't mentioned this. It's uh Jordan Sibachu. Have I mentioned him on the show yet, Trevor? Uh is a, a young French striker who apparently was born in the United States, is eligible for the United States, um and could uh could hopefully make a, a a move into the U.S. men's national team. He's 19 years old. He's currently at Rennes. He's, uh, he's played nine games so far this year and scored three times. Uh, made his debut uh, in August. And uh, he said in an interview in July that he was born in D.C., holds an American passport, expressed interest in the U.S. men's national team, uh, but is remaining focused on his uh, on his club career, naturally, uh, eligible to play for France, Cameroon, Cameroon, or the United States. So one of those, one of those situations where you've got a a triumvirate of countries who are going to be coming, and those are strong countries. Cameroon, good program, good good national team. Obviously, you know about the French. The United States is bringing up the rear there. Hey, Mark Fishkin, what's going on, my friend? How are you today, sir? I'm okay. The show is on the air, so I feel good. Good. Oh, be thankful for small favors. Um, want to talk about? It's obviously end of the regular season, and so voting for uh, end of the season awards coming up. And I'm just curious in your thoughts on what is probably a, a pretty healthy debate: is coach of the year in the league, <clears throat> Oscar Pereja, mm-hmm. Jesse Marsh, mm-hmm. two guys working with the bottom two payroll sizes in all of the league and have both won their conferences. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to get your opinion on who, who gets that award. Uh, it may come down to the supporter shield, Mark. I mean, I, I don't know when mm-hmm. voting's happening. Apparently I'm not a voter anymore. I, I was once I'm upon sorry. a time. I, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't, there was no letter. I didn't get a phone call to tell me I was being stripped 
of my of my uh, my vote. Um, I don't think I voted last year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I didn't. Um, Maybe that's why. What that I didn't vote last year? I don't know. No, no, I don't think I got the ballot last year. Anyway, um, the I think it might come down to the supporter shield because that's an obvious pleat in that respective coach's cape, and and therefore you could say, well, the difference. Both these guys did great things on small budgets, um, but the difference is that one of them has a supporter shield. Uh, I think it's probably those two guys. I mean, at one point, I think Carl Robinson had a really good uh, uh, claim to it. I think mm. even Greg Berhalter yeah. had a pretty strong claim to it. But I think when you look at Coach of the Year, and, and I'm trying to put myself in the in the heads of the voters and, and being one before, I can certainly say that I think it's always about the distance between uh, the, or, or the, the, the difficulty, right? It's, it's, it's a difficulty level that's, that's considered here. It's, well, if you're Bruce Arena, you don't get you don't get consideration because you're because you're coaching the LA Galaxy because you're they're spending a ton of money and you've uh, you, you've won your titles already and it's just it's one of those things where the recognition is tougher for established guys who are regularly successful. If you're a new coach, I think that's a, a you get bonus points for that. Jesse March, new coach. If you're, I think budget is part of that as well. Uh, certainly, I think. Um, and you know, and then then it's just a matter of sort of plotting out on a graph, not really, not literally, but in the analogy I'm using, um, that those difficulties versus success. You know, here's success on one axis. Here's the difficulty level. Who's the pl- whose plot point is the highest? And I think it's probably Jesse Marsh. Well, and the flip side of that is Perea's playing in the good hard conference. Sure, sure. So he came by his points more honestly, or well. <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a tougher way. Well, okay, you could argue that certainly, but I think that's one of those secondary factors. I mean, there, there will there may be a a voter or two who go, yeah, he he won the Western Conference. That's the harder conference. Again, if FC Dallas wins the Supporter Shield, that may be the tipping point. Not only did he win the harder conference, he won the Supporter Shield in the harder conference. Give it to to Oscar Pereira. But you know, the, the Red Bulls have an advantage in the Supporter Shield race. They just have to not trip over themselves against Chicago, Mark. That that's all they have to do. Well, and we all know exactly what that challenge is for them, right? They've never won a Toyota Park ever, and you know it's it's one of those situations. One of my um, my Twitter pieces reminding me when Toronto came to the Meadowlands in 2009, and the Red Bulls were the worst team in the league, and all Toronto needed to do was win to get into the playoffs for the first time. And what happens? The Metro Stars beat them five <laughs> nil. Not yeah. certainly saying. That you know, there there are a lot of reasons why New York could, and by some accounts, should win this game, and there are a lot of reasons why, uh, you know, the boogeyman will come out and and bite the Red Bulls on Sunday. Yeah, so, just that, and yeah. Why, why, and why aren't these two games being played at the same time? I, I, I I'm sorry, I missed. Uh, you know, I, I, I was looking at the schedule. You know, I, I had heard so much about Decision Day that everything was happening on Sunday, and I was like, okay. And I I don't know what my brain was telling me, but I went and looked at the schedule. And you've got all of the Eastern Conference games happening at 5 o'clock and all of the Western Conference games happening at 7 o'clock hour time, where all the people live, Mark. And I'm sort of like, wait, okay, so we're just assuming that there's not going to be any, any crossover here, that, that, that one, set, uh, one set of games don't affect the, the results or expect, uh, reflect, uh, re- affect what the other set of teams will do. But that's not true when it comes to the Red Bulls and FC Dallas. No, not at all. And... I don't. Since neither of these games are going to be on national television, and I have no idea how many fans will be uh, at uh, Toyota Stadium in in Frisco. I can't imagine there's going to be a ton of interest in Chicago at Toyota Park. Right. But one would think that you know a number of days out, it would not be terribly difficult to make a subtle switch and have these games kick off at the same time. I mean, yeah. because it, it'll matter. It could matter. It could. Uh, you know the red uh, the Red Bulls get. Um, yeah, the, I mean the, the if the Red Bulls don't win, if they draw or lose to Chicago, FC Dallas still has to win to win the supporter shield. Yeah, and FC Dallas is a fantastic. Has already run twelve there. 16 matches at home, and they'll be playing as though some, well, I mean, something up. What and, of course, San Jose may have something to play for by then, and or may not. What I'm, saying, though, what I'm saying, though, Mark, is at least it's not a situation where FC Dallas could say, well, we don't have to worry about this game anymore. We've already won the Supporters' Shield because, uh, because New York lost. That's not the case. New York holds a tiebreaker. FC Dallas has to win the game 
in order to win right. the supporter shield. So you're really not a, despite the fact they're not playing at the same time, you're really not impacting FC Dallas's effort in the game. Now, I, I guess there's some conceivable way that that uh, goal difference can come into play, but it's six right now. I, I really don't see that as a factor. No, but it will make a difference for San Jose because in looking at da, 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 the league's uh, very good page that they had put together, which talks about the playoff scenarios, San Jose can clinch a playoff spot with a win oh, and one of the following happening. Right. And a lot of those games will be happening at the same time. Right. If, if Dallas takes the field on Sunday knowing the shield is uh, all but done because they're not going to win 8 nothing, right? Right. Um, I, it, I don't know. I think their effort level is very different for San Jose, and that can be very meaningful for the, for the Quakes. Okay. It's a good point. You know, there, it, it, does, it, it is a trickle-down effect. It's not just about the Red Bulls and, and FC Dallas. So you do have the Quakes playing uh, for a, a chance at the playoffs, the very slim chance, but it's still out there. So uh, you, you got a point. Uh, you know, this is a step in the right direction, though, Mark. I mean, let's, yeah. let, let's I, I, look, we can criticize the league for failing to put them all at the same time, but that has always been a logistical nightmare they didn't want to take on before, and they finally moved in that direction, at least on, even if it's a half measure. Yeah, no, I, yes, I, I would agree with you 100%. It's certainly a positive. And, and personally, I think having all the playoff games on the same days are a tremendous improvement over the two- and three-day midweek playoff games in front of tiny crowds kind of thing that they've done in the past. And I don't have much of an issue about going up against um, the NFL during those Sundays, the fans will come or they won't. The interesting thing, and I don't know if you've mentioned this, uh, and I saw this as well on Twitter, uh, if New York God forbid, gets to MLS Cup, wins the Shield, and hosts it, it's kicking off immediately after the Jets and Giants play at MetLife Stadium six miles away. So it'll be very interesting, and we have a long way to go to get there, sure. what yeah. that impact will be on crowd size and yes. what impact, yes. that impact will be, frankly, on attention in the following day's uh, media. Yes, and, and, I and, I, and I actually did talk about this in, in, at length in, uh, in a column I wrote and some other places. And, and mm-hmm. it, it basically, and I got accused of not having a conclusion, but I don't think there is one. Mark, I don't think there's you don't you don't come to a resolution about the fact that uh, that that MLS is always going to have a difficult time scraping for attention when it comes to going up against the NFL. That's that's life in America. What are you going to do about it? I mean, are you going to Trevor advocates for a season switch, which would put the playoffs in June or July, which, you know, makes sense in a lot of ways, but does cause a lot of ripple effect and other problems, including weather issues in the in the winter. Other than that, what can you do if you're MLS except sort of just throw your hands up and say, we will carve out what we carve out? Yeah, no, I don't think there's anything they can do. Uh, I I mean, do you want to shift the whole schedule to appease the Euro snobs? Fine. The league is going to be at an all-time attendance high this year, and there are a lot of reasons why that's the case. Um, I, I believe that ratings have improved this year. So, you know, I mean, you've got to become a point of viewing. And I think for a nation of MLS fans, uh, an insular, small but growing bunch as we are, they'll find the games and they'll watch them. Yeah, absolutely. Mark, appreciate the phone call. Always good to talk to you, man. Yep, be well. Mark Fishkin, uh, go follow him on Twitter, Mark Fishkin, and listen to his podcast, Seeing Red, covering the New York Red Bulls and soccer in the New York area with our friend Dave Martinez, uh, among others. And killing Dan Dickinson occasionally. Um, speaking of Dave Martinez from Empire of Soccer, he had a he had a a, a, a great tweet yesterday. Uh, he says, after five years of podcasting, I'm actually starting to listen to other shows, open to recommendations. Uh, and then our friend Phil uh, said, "Soccer Morning," which Dave's been on Soccer Morning many a time. He's certainly aware of the show. He knows the show. Uh, he said, "Soccer Morning is more than a pod at this point." Always love what Jason does behind the stick. Thank you very much for the compliment, Dave. But I'm, what I'm locking into here is more than a pod, and I think we've established. I think we've we've found something here. This is uh, this is how Trevor and I process this. We process this, and Trevor can put a graphic up. It looks way better than my drawing. But we're gonna. <laughs> I think we're gonna play off Barcelona. Mesque un pod. <laughs> I love it. I want to. I want to put this on a T-shirt. The lo- soccer morning logo. Mesque Umpod, this has to happen. If you would, if you would buy a Mesque Umpod 
t-shirt for Soccer Morning, which I know we've got a t-shirt backlog we're working through. Please be patient with uh, with us and our company. Hopefully those things are coming. If you bought a t-shirt and you haven't gotten it already, we're working that stuff out where, we're, where our, our, our t-shirt partner is. But if you would buy a Meske Umpad Soccer Morning t-shirt, let me know because we will get one up somehow. We will get one designed for purchase because I, I would wear it. And I'm and I'm the guy who does the show, so that would like be like the band member wearing the band's T-shirt. Which is that? That's we've established that's not cool, right? Like I can't, I can't really legitimate. I don't know. Whatever. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much to Luke Moore from the Football Ramble for his appearance. Uh, you guys who called in, good stuff. Uh, good to be back on the show. Glad the technical stuff got worked out. We will be back. Tomorrow, talking more Champions League. Bunch of good games in the Champions League tomorrow as as well as tonight. So you've got results tonight, previews tomorrow, uh, more developments in FIFA, I'm sure. Always uh, up for, t- for talking American soccer. Uh, go follow us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. And by the way, we're working out uh, details to be confirmed, but I'm pretty sure we're close to... Uh, to scheduling a Rabble.TV broadcast, myself and Jared Dubois, on Sunday for the first round of Decision Day games. So the 5 o'clock Eastern games. We'll, we'll be watching D.C. United Columbus because that's a national broadcast, but I'll try to keep an eye on the other results as well. We'll just be talking MLS and the playoffs um, uh, in, in, uh, in this, uh, the Decision Day venue. All right, that's it. We're done. Got distracted. I'm back. Go follow us. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. See you then. Did my invitations disappear? Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 